Tonight we have a big treat. We have uh, our friend, Brother Abraham, from India. He lives in Delhi. And come up here, Brother Abraham. He, uh, he, he comes to us from Delhi, India. And he speaks four, but he promised me he'd only speak in English tonight. He won't speak in Hindi or Tamil or whatever else you speak. All right? Only English tonight, sir. But um, he has... 4,500 churches that have been started under his ministry just in India alone. Another 170 in Nepal, which is a Hindu nation, which it's illegal to preach the gospel there, but he still has 170 churches there. He's been shot at. They tried to kill him. They can't kill him because Jesus is with him. So I'm going to let him do his own talking now. Welcome, Brother Abraham. Thank you, Pastor Bernie. Uh, what a joy and a privilege it is to be with you again. I still remember about 25 years ago, uh, I stood here and I spoke for the first time. That was a long time ago. I used to be young in those days. And uh, so they checked me out and they found I was okay. Then I was told I could come back again. Well, they asked for it. Now they can't get rid of me. And I'm coming back and again and again and again and again. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. This church has been such a great blessing for me and also for the ministry uh, in the nation of India. And uh, I want you to know that this church is one of the largest supporters of our ministry. And uh, Pastor Dwayne and all the pastors, uh, they're very kind to me. They love me. And uh, I'm grateful to them. I'm grateful to the Rest of Life Church here in Granville and for your commitment for the work that we do in the nation of India. Amen. Well, our God is a good God. Amen. We sing all the songs. You are so, so good to me. And you are so, so kind to me. And it's true that all, our God is an amazing God. And he takes care of us and he leads us and guides us. When Pastor Bernie was reading Psalm 3, and I was thinking that message was for me. And uh, then I did not just raise my hands and came up here because I'm coming up anyway. So I thought I would say that because that is the kind of attack that I'm going through in India where the, the enemy surrounds me. 10,000 of the enemies coming around me and, and not only me, my pastors and the Christians in India, uh, they are attacking us and, and they are trying to destroy us. Uh, and, uh, and the psalmist says, but God is our refuge. Amen? He is our protection. And that is the only thing that keeps us going. Otherwise, that we'll all be hiding somewhere and uh, wondering what we can do next or trying to save our life. But I believe that God is with us and we are doing God's work and whenever you are in his job, in his business, 
he takes care of us. Amen? And that's what I believe that the Lord is doing uh, through our lives these days. And um, I started my ministry when I was 21 years old. That was 44 years ago. The Lord called me. I got out of my job. He made me to get out of the job. I didn't want to. I told him that's not a good idea. But he won't listen to me. But so I left my job. I walked out of my home with a shoulder bag full of tracks and my Bible, wondering what was ministry, what was I supposed to do. But I just obeyed God because I tried to fight him, but he wins all the time anyway. So there's no point of doing that. So I left my home. I was on the street. As far as I was concerned, I was in the ministry and didn't have any idea what was ministry, what was I supposed to do, but God called me. So all I knew in those days was hanging, hand, handing tracts to the people and telling them that Jesus loves them. And that's all I knew. I didn't know how to preach. So no offense, nobody invited me to preach. So... I wandered around the streets through different villages and did the same thing that I knew, the best. And several weeks down the road, the little money that I had was all finished. And uh, I just lived on the streets. I used to sleep in front of the shops. And in the night, no place to go. And um, go without food, three, four days. And the greatest miracle in those days was God has to give me something to eat. That was my greatest miracle in those days. And uh, I used to walk 15, 20 miles every day. Not that I like walking, but I didn't have the few pennies to pay for my bus fare. So everywhere I needed to go, I just walked. If I wanted to go to Holland, I walked. Zealand, I walked. Grand Rapids, I walked, you know. Anywhere that I needed to go, I was walking everywhere. And then uh, the Lord said to me, I want you to evangelize the nation of India. I said, that's okay, let's do it. I had no idea what he was talking about because I didn't know anything about my own country. I was wondering afterwards when I started to study that this nation is not just one country, it is a nation of nations. Like It is not like you, you can cross the border from here to Indiana, you won't even know it. But in India, you cross the border you're just in another country. They speak different language, they eat different food, which you don't like, and they wear different kinds of clothing. And uh, so I, we are set with about 28 kind of states like this. And then I realized what God said was not that easy. He just said it and walked away, leaving me alone and saying that go and evangelize the nation of India, right? So, and here I am with no money, not even a penny to pay for my bus fare. And here in India, at that time, 620 million people. And today we have got 1.25 billion people. One-sixth of the world live in my country. And so, what do we do? Well, let's begin somewhere. So I started with street meetings. You know, no expense. Take four sticks and you know, put a tarp on the top of it to make it look like a platform and a couple of gas lanterns. Young people don't know what it is. You just pump the gas 
and, and the mantle will glow as a kind of a decent light with no expense. So that was my crusade. You know, in India, because we've got so much of people, no matter what you do, two, three hundred people will come around and look at you, what you're doing. So to get people is not a hard thing to do. So the people came, and I spoke the best way that I knew, and I told them that Jesus Christ is your healer. He wants to heal you and deliver you and set you free. And uh, so people came. And I don't have the time to share with all the stories and, and how God led me because we don't have that much time. I'll tell you just one thing. And I call for the people to come for prayer. So it is, a, it is an open street meeting. People have been walking around. And so I thought, what kind of a sickness could be there? So I thought maybe a little headache or maybe a pimple on their face or whatever that is. So I thought that that's what they will come for prayer. So as I called out, a guy was bringing another man to me for prayer. And I realized the guy who was coming was a blind man. So the other guy was leading him. And as he came, I said to the Lord God, this is not going to be good today. Because this was not the plan. It's not the plan of praying for a blind man. I thought of just doing some little things. What are you doing? Then that's the first guy who was coming out for prayer. So he came and stood in front of me. The one who brought him said, well, he said that your Jesus can heal. Here's the guy. Just do it and send him home. So I said, all right, I have to do something. Lord, it seems like we both are in trouble. So you do something quickly. So I laid hands on him. And I closed my eyes. I didn't have the courage to keep my eyes open. I closed my eyes and I prayed. Then all the faith that I could find, which was not much, and I prayed, in the name of Jesus, I command you, come out of this man and, and your eyes be open in Jesus' name. And I finished my prayer and the guy was looking at me and he said, I can see, I can see, I can see. I said, no, you can't see. You're a blind man, you know. He said, no, I can see. So the God opened the blind eyes. So, Hallelujah. I never looked back again. From then on, you know, lame walked and cancer's healed. God's power was manifested and I thought this works. So people came, gave their hearts, God saved, God healed. I baptized them. I started my first church. And here I'm standing before you 44 years later. And as you heard pastors saying that I've started more than 4,500 churches right across the nation of India and also in the country of Nepal. And it grows every year. You know, hundreds of churches <clears throat> are being started every year. And the work continues on. Amen? And um, we've got lots of troubles, lots of challenges in India. As Psalm 3 says, we are attacked by the devil. We are attacked by the, by the government. We are attacked by the Hindu militants. So many challenges that we have, and pastors are being killed, and churches have been burned down, uh, Christian villages have been just completely destroyed, and uh, uh, there's so many things I cannot share with you in public, and that's what we go through in India today. And uh, the saddest thing is, for the first time in my life, that I lost two of my pastors 
who became martyrs for Christ last year. You know, they, one was shot dead and the other one was stabbed to death and they gave their life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did they die? Is it because they were sick? No. Was it because of their old age? No. Then why? Why did they die? They died because they were a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. They died because they were sharing the kingdom of God to the people. They stood for Jesus Christ and they gave their life to the Lord for his kingdom. Amen? And it hurts me because they're all my own boys. They grew up. They studied in my Bible college. I married them. They are two or three kids. I sent them to this ministry. They went and started the church. And today they are no more. Because, of course, they are with the Lord. But they gave their life for the kingdom in India. Amen? One of the things that I share, one of the things that I ask for is like, the, like these men. You know, I've got about 4,700 pastors who are working with me. And one of the things I say is like, you know, they're like my heroes. You know, I, I, I'm friends with many, many great men of God around the world. You know, about four Sundays ago, I was preaching in the largest church in the world uh, that belonged to Dr. Cho in Korea. I was preaching, you know, 880,000 people. One service is almost 80,000 people. You know, the auditorium is about 25,000 people sitting there. I stood there and I preached. And I'm friends with them. I'm friends with other great men of God. But they are not my heroes. They're wonderful men. But to me, these men, working with the Lord in a remote village somewhere, of course, some of them gave their lives. And they are my heroes. You know, no books will ever be written about them. No mission conference will ever invite them to speak. They'll live and they will die unknown to anyone. But they are the greatest hero. We'll have a great surprise when you go to heaven. That we'll find out who are these men. What are the caliber that these men are. Amen. So one of the things I always say will be that there are hundreds of these kind of men. They make, they they pay the biggest price, but even in spite of that, they do not have the basic needs of life. They don't have food. They don't have clothing. Their children starving. So we try to support a pastor and family in India. And I'm looking for sponsors, people, young people, families, older people. You know, I'm asking you to give me $2 a day. And that will take care of a pastor and family with $60 a month. That'll make a difference for them in their life. Amen? After the service, Sister Mary Bramer, most of you might know her, she'll be outside the auditorium. And she has got some literature, and she'll enable you if you wanted to be one of those people. If you want to spare that $2, which will not even buy you a coffee here. But you can change the life of a family in India. A dollar a day can support one of my orphan children in India. About 400 pastors are praying. They're asking for a bicycle. You know, they walk about 15, 20 miles like I do every day, going to the surrounding villages, sharing the gospel. And they don't have a bicycle. They're praying. 
$120 will make a difference in their life. And so many other needs goes on. And I want you to pray and do whatever you can. And God will richly bless you. Amen? I take care of orphans in 17 orphanages I have. 14 Bible colleges I run. 65 sewing schools training destitute women across the country. I run schools to take care of the Hindu children in my schools. And the ministry continues on. And if you can't do anything, but I want you to pray for the work in India. And God will richly bless you. Amen? Well, I think I've got a few more minutes to preach. So I would like to preach a little message. Would you, would you allow me to do that? Are you okay? You seem to be so serious. And uh, seems like it's enough, boy. Let's finish it now. Okay. But unfortunately, I'm not stopping. Because I came a long way from India. So I'm thinking of preaching a little bit. Is that okay? Please say yes. Thank you. I want to share with you a message from the book of Amos. Amos is one of the prophets, the minor prophets in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. It's a book. So if you can find it, that'll be fine. Otherwise, you believe me, when I, when I read it, it is in the Bible, okay? So one or the other. So it is in the book of Amos chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 4, 5, and the first part of verse 6. And it reads like this, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Whenever you read in the Old Testament, when it says, when the Lord says, I'm speaking to the house of Israel, we should immediately take a note of that because whatever message that God is saying to the people of Israel in the Old Testament is a message for us because we are the New Testament Israel. So the message always comes to us. It always speaks to our life. So I wanted to take note of what the Lord is speaking in this passage. And it says, seek me and live. That's a message for us. And if you want life, God is saying, you, sh you must seek me. Seeking the Lord will bring life to us. But that's fine. But he goes on to say in verse 5, he says, but do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. And then he reiterates what he said before, and he says in verse 6, Seek the Lord and live. Well, my message is seeking after life. How many of you want life? Please raise your hands for me, please. We don't want death, right? We want life. So life flows from God. And he gives us life. So he says to us, seek after me and you will find life. But then he goes on warning us for something. And he mentions three names here. And he says, do not seek after Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba. Bethel, Gilgal, and Beersheba. These are all names of three places, which is connected with an amazing encounter that different people had with God in their lives. So if you look at Bethel, it is in, in Genesis chapter 28. 
the famous chapter of Jacob's ladder. Jacob has stolen the, the birthright and the blessing from his father and his brother. And he's running to save his life. He ran all day and he came to a place, got so tired and he lied down to sleep. And the Bible says as you're sleeping, he saw a vision and the heaven opened. And he saw a ladder, which was the top was touching heaven and the bottom was touching the earth. And the Jacob's ladder, the ladder that he saw in his dream, was a type of Jesus Christ. And well, that's not my message anyway. It seems like it said that the top of the ladder was touching heaven, which talks about the Son of God aspect of Jesus. And the bottom of the ladder was touching the earth, which talks about the Son of Man aspect of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was only one ladder. That is the only way that touches heaven and earth. And the way to heaven is through this ladder because Jesus said, I am the only way, the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. Anyway, and the angels of God were descending and ascending upon the ladder. If you read in, in John's Gospel, chapter 1, when Jesus was talking to a man by name Nathaniel, and at the end of that chapter he says, this is nothing, Nathaniel, because from now on the heaven will open and you will see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's what he said. Okay? So here, he saw this dream. He said, God spoke to him that day. And God said, I will bless you and I'll be with you. And I'll bring you back safely to this place. So he woke up and he said, oh, what an awesome place. God's presence is in this place. And the, he called that place Bethel, which means the house of God. And the name of the place was loose before that. So that is Bethel, one of the amazing experiences in the life of Jacob. And you come to the, chapter, the book of Joshua, you come to chapter 5, and there God was speaking to Joshua. And God said to him, all the people who started from Egypt, they all died in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb. Nobody else entered into the promised land of Canaan because all of them died in the wilderness. But now the kids were born in the wilderness and there is a new generation. And God said to Joshua, you have got a new generation with you. So I want you to circumcise all the male among you. Circumcision is making a covenant with God. So a new covenant was made. And God said to Joshua, today I have removed all the reproach from your enemies. And Joshua called that place Gilgal, which means rolling away of the reproach. And the third name is Beersheba. That is when Abraham's and King Abimelech's servants were fighting over the water. And finally, they both sat together near a well, and they made a treaty, a covenant, and strife was put to an end, and peace was restored. And they called that place Beersheba, which means the well of oath. Uh, oath was made by the side of the well. So these are the three places. Why I'm saying this is God is saying to us, and he's saying that do not enter Bethel. Don't go into Gilgal. Don't pass through Beersheba. Why? 
These are all amazing experiences in somebody's life. This is God's experience, God-given experience. This is not something happened from somewhere. This is God's powerful encounter in the life of Jacob, in the life of Abraham, in the life of the people of Israel. And the very same God is telling us, but it is enough, don't go to that place again. Don't seek after Bethel. Don't go after Gilgal. No Beersheba, why? Why? We like that place. That's an amazing place. You gave it to us. Then why are you trying to stop us? And God himself is giving the answer. He says, why? Because he says in verse 5, he says, because Gilgal shall surely go into captivity and Bethel shall come to nothing. So what is the message I've got for you tonight? God is saying to us that the experience that I've given in the past was amazing for those people in those times. But if you are hanging on to those experiences for too long, the blessing that was there at that time will become a bondage today in your life. Are you listening to me? You know, many of us will be harping on our amazing experience with Jesus Christ 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 25 years ago. You know, when I was there, when I was here, when I was sitting, when I was praying, God revealed himself and Jesus appeared before me and all these kinds of stuff. But the Lord is speaking to us today saying that, but don't dwell in those experiences anymore. Why? Because I'm not there in that place again. Amen? Yesterday's blessing is today's bondage. Amen? And many of us are living in bondage because we are talking about the experience of the past. We're talking about the year 1995. But the Lord is saying, I, this is not 1995. This is 2018. And I have got different plans for you. I wanted to use you differently. I want to show you things differently. I want to hold your hands and walk you through differently. And so don't hang on there. The experience will not do any good for us. Only God can do all the things for us. Amen. Can you say a little amen for that, please? Amen. But we tend to hang on to that. What is tradition? Tradition is hanging on to the things that we know. We don't want to let go of that. We people, you know, born again, baptized, charismatic churches, we think, we say that we have broken all our tradition. No, we have not broken any tradition in our life. Imagine yourself, you are coming to the meeting tonight. You know exactly what is going to happen here. You know the guy who's going to stand with the guitar. You know them going to sing their songs, one or two, three songs. And after that, the announcement. And after that, the offering. And then the preacher will come up to preach. That is what you know. Imagine Pastor Bernie comes up right in the beginning of the service and says, come on, Pastor Abraham, come and speak. You say, no, no, you can't do that. Why? We have not sung the song yet. You hear me? So we are held by the tradition of our life. And the word of the Lord is coming to us and saying, it is bondage. 
I believe that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ need a paradigm shift. I remember the story of a man who invented something and about the watch and he went to Switzerland. Switzerland is a place where they make watches. He went and called all the watchmakers and he had a conference with them. And he told them that I have invented something which will revolutionize the watch industry. And this thing, if you will use, this will keep the accuracy to the 10,000th of a second. This is what you can have. They looked at it, they turned it around, they said, no, this is no good. Why? Because this does not have a balance wheel. This does not have the wheel that it should be there on a watch. So I said, this is no good. We don't want it, take it away. He took that to Japan and he went to a man who was the owner of the Psycho watches. He told him the same thing. The guy said, give it to me, I'll buy it. Let me try and see what happens. And he took it and he made the watch and then he flooded the whole world with the Psycho watches. What is the thing that he invented? That is what we call quartz today. The quartz watches. It doesn't need a balance wheel, it doesn't need anything, why? The people in, in Switzerland will not accept it because they didn't have a paradigm shift. They could not look at a watch without a balance wheel. But Psycho guy wanted to try it and he made his money because he is willing to make a change in his life. Amen? We need to make a change. Time for us to have a paradigm shift. But we are holding on to that, friends. But God's word is coming to us tonight. And he's challenging every one of us and saying, life, you should seek after me. No other way you will have life. You have to seek after the one who gave you the experience. Not to hang on to those experiences. It's time for us to move on. Because I want you to know today that God has got a better way of doing things. God has got something greater than anything that you have ever known in your life. The only way to do that is follow him. And he'll show us. The Bible says he will lead us from glory to glory. Amen. Isaiah says like this. He said, do not remember the former things. Don't think about the things of the old. Because I'm about to do a new thing. And then he said, when is it going to happen? He said, it'll happen right now. It'll begin now. Amen. You want to have a new thing? Learn to get rid of the old. Amen. Move on. And the Lord will set us free. One more little example that Jesus said as I finish. And he says in Luke chapter 5, he talks about the new wine and the new wineskin. And he says like this, new wine cannot be put in old wineskin because the old wineskin cannot contain the wine, so it'll break, so it'll be destroyed and the wine will be spilled. So new wine should be poured into new wineskin. Now the question is this, and what about the old wineskin? Should we throw it away? It is no good? He said, no. You can renew the old wineskin. Because many of us have become old wineskin. It's difficult for the new wine to pour into us. So the only way to make it happen is we have to become new. And the good thing about the wineskin is it is made out of leather. And leather can be always renewed. And you can, you can make it renewed and you put it through what a process which is called the tanning of the leather. Well, have you ever tried wearing a shoe that you, which is yours, which you did not wear for four months? Have you tried it? Your foot will not go inside. Why? It's the same shoe, but because it has gone dry, 
It has become brittle. It has been lost its elasticity. It won't take your shoe in your, your feet. And that's the same thing. So we need to renew the old wineskin. How do you do that? Take this and throw it in the water and soak it for hours and take it out in the morning and put it in the sun and start beating it. It hurts, but that's a process. Amen, you beat that, you beat it, and put it in the sun, dry it, put it back in the water, and soak it again, and beat it up again, put it in the sun again, keep on repeating the process until you will feel that the elasticity has come back on the wineskin. Amen? And it is ready, it has become soft. It is stretching itself, and all you need to do is to put some oil on it, and it is ready. You can pour the new wine into the new wineskin, the renewed wineskin, that is ready to take it on. Amen? And today, the Lord would like to do a bit of a processing in our life so that we can become new wineskin, so that the new wine can be poured into our life. But we should be willing to say, Lord, put me through the process. I know it hurts. It does hurt. Because it, it shakes our comfort zone. It shakes you and me. And we wanted to let go. We need to let go of the things we are holding on too much and it is bondage in our life anyway. But today the Lord wants to set us free. The Lord wants to give you and me the new wine that is ready for us to be poured in. And would you please stand up with me? We're going to pray today. And the Lord is asking you and me saying, are you ready? Do you want the new wineskin in your life? Or do you want to continue on the way that you are? You are satisfied the way that you lead your Christian life is fine. But if you want to be different, if you want life to pour into your life, if you want the Holy Ghost to come and fall into your life, today the word of the Lord is coming to you and say, Seek me and you will live. And would you pray with me and say, Lord, put me through the tanning process. Lord, I know it's going to hurt. But it doesn't matter, Lord, because I want something new in my life. I want you to pour the new wine in my life. Lord, I want you to change me. I'm sick and tired of living a Christian life like this for the last 20 years. I believe tonight there is something more than this for me. Something the Lord has got for me. I want to receive that. I want to have that in my life. Do you want it? Do you want that in your life? Put your hands up in the air with me, please. And pray in your heart and saying, Lord, pour it on me, Lord. So renew me, Lord. Renew me, Lord. I want life. Let it, let it flow through my life. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray, Almighty, your anointing will come upon everyone. Father God, renew us, Lord. Lord, we have become brittle. We have become hard. Lord, we have become so traditional. Lord, but we want life tonight. Let the life pour in our hearts today. Lord God, make us new wineskins. Lord, we are willing to let go of Bethel and Gilgal, and we want to follow you, Lord. Really? What have you got for us, Lord? Everything that you have, we want it for us in our life. Give it to us, Father. Lord, we dedicate our life to you. Lord, we glorify your name, Lord. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.